0: I got myself into a place where I was thinking, I need a model to make this make sense and for it to resonate with me as a naturopathic orientated nutritionist. So I came up with the adaptive health model. I just think our body's primary purpose is to maintain some sort of stasis and it will do that whatever. What we're about, what I'm about is, my passion is really trying to understand kind of human health and how it works and develop new models, new ways of explaining things, new kind of metaphors for understanding it, new angles on it so that we can really take it apart.
1: Hello and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, we have Chris Newbold with BioCare joining us. He is the head of nutrition strategy, and he's going to be talking about how they came up with their adaptive health model. So sit back and listen in, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, Chris. I really appreciate it. I attend a lot of your events, the BioCare events, and I do think they're amazing. So it's really nice to have you on my show.
0: Happy to be here.
1: Oh, great. So I thought it might be nice we talked a little bit about some ideas of what you would discuss. Uh, on the show and I just wondered if do you want to give any sort of a background on bio care at all or um, and then roll into talking about education and how you integrate competing ideas etc etc do you want to
0: yeah sure Um, I've been a, a nutritionist for about oh gosh 15 or so years more than that probably now And um, I came into it really as a naturopathic nutritionist, but I'd also had quite a strong health service background before uh, working in more conventional medicine, but as a therapist. So I've always kind of come at physiology from a more holistic behavioral rather than a medical point of view. So yeah, Biocare is a company that, that resonates with me, which is why I joined it and why I've been there ever since, because it's always been very naturopathic and kind of held true to those naturopathic principles mm-hmm. and, and always been very clinical in terms of, you know, what does this product actually do and how does it fit into a, a kind of understanding of health? And as part of that as well, education and advice and clinical support is a big part of what, what we do here. So I've always been at the very heart of that ever since I joined the company. I started in clinical nutrition, answering calls, you know, sort of eight hours a day. Gosh. So I earned a lot of, um, you yeah, know, did the hard yards <laughs> kind of um talking to anybody and everybody about anything and everything in intimate detail usually incredibly intimate detail people would go into um, with a complete stranger and so and then I gradually you know I kind of uh, acquired a lot of information and heard a lot of talks and went to a lot of lectures and got exposed to lots of different ideas and that kind of led me to I don't know, lots of the ways I think now, I suppose, which we'll, we'll probably come on to.
1: Mm. It's interesting that the journeys we, we go through and the paths we take, and mm. and here you are now. Because mm. <laughs> you yeah. are head of education at Biocare, is that right?
0: Yeah, I'm actually head of something called nutrition strategy at the moment, which oh. I'm um, still figuring out a little bit, but it's kind of involves education very much. So I kind of I'm kind of like, it sounds like a silly expression, but I'm, I'm kind of like a, a thought leader, someone who generates ideas, and obviously I talk to a lot of practitioners and think about stuff a lot, and then that role that I play then influences the product development that we do, the education that we do, and I link in very closely to my former team that I used to head up, which is the clinical nutrition team, and so we've got very strong links and we're you know sideways with each other. Um, So I don't actually do a lot of the sitting on the phones giving advice anymore. I've kind of like, kind of like, I don't want to say risen above that because it's an incredibly brilliant job and I actually really enjoy it um, when I still sometimes do it. But I've kind of gone into a more strategic level of thinking where I'm thinking about, you know, health and nutrition and supplements and how we explain it and how we understand it all. And that's kind of my current role that I'm involved in.
1: So, is that how you've come up with some more of the challenging or unorthodox ideas uh, uh, with regards to nutritional therapy and how we work with clients? I mean, your courses that you provide, which are your educational series mm. that you provide to us, are absolutely brilliant, but they're not your standard thinking or your standard courses yeah. really are they
0: no that's what we, we kind of aim for that i've always you say i always loved Biocare because in the outset it was always a bit left field mm-hmm. um which appeals to me mm. um it's not a band it's never been a bandwagon kind of a company mm. um john sterling who founded the company was a really creative brilliant thinker i i didn't know him hugely well but i met him a few times and um it's interesting that i think that Way that we've gone um, since he left the company is very similar in a way, and we've got similar kind of free spirits who seem to be attracted to it and come on board, like myself and Alex Ferretti and Jules Cattell, who do a lot of our education as well. Um, And I think we all get on and we all like each other because we just love really kicking an idea around and really thinking about it and challenging it. So we do like to almost it's almost a challenge to me when i hear someone present a particular view for me to kind of think hmm, i wonder if that's really true or how that really fits in with what so-and-so said last month i i often use the phrase you know how how can it all be true that's often where i've come from from a position of curiosity of right. you know how can dr sarah myhill say this whereas such and such a functional medicine doctor said that mm. and somebody else talked about the gut and said this yeah. and it's very confusing yeah. but on the and, uh, you know i came to the conclusion over a period of time as i'm sure you know that in a sense it's all correct at a different level we're just seeing health in a multi-layer level it's almost through a kaleidoscope and seeing how it all merges together and it's all simultaneously true all of this stuff that we hear we just have to pick our way through it Mm. so that's kind of where where we come from and i think as a result of that yeah i like i i love the content to be kind of humorous entertaining challenging different i kind of feel it's important that we put on a bit of a show almost and you know make it really engaging and thought-provoking and entertaining a bit as well you know insightful and colorful in a way because I think I think people learn better that way I think it's more interesting
1: yeah well you're very good at the descriptions and the analogies I I love that you just you contextualize things so well Mm. and you take a very complicated and and of course our bodies are incredibly complex machines so Mm. I love the way when I think one of the most recent ones was it the rooted one where you were talking about the immune system and yeah he cracked me up, but I just kept thinking, "Gosh, I wish I'd had him when I was studying." Um, you know, one of those. But um, that's that's all about me. It, I find it interesting. We were talking about challenging, coming up with challenging ideas. Is is that how you work forward in your move forward as an organization? Because is that is that one of the ways that you do it, or what?
0: That's an interesting question. I don't know. I think it just comes out of the kind of people who work here. I mean, I suppose to what extent we set out to try to make it different, Mm -hmm. but without trying to force it too much. So there is an intention there. I mean, at the moment I'm writing something called Human Nature with some colleagues, which is going to be one of our seminars in the spring next year. And I'm kind of thinking, oh gosh, is this this a bit obvious? Is Mm -hmm. this... Is this a bit boring? Is this a bit run-of-the-mill? What's, what's different and what's interesting about it? So I'm always thinking about that. But on the other hand, I think we don't have to force it too much. We've kind of got some good ideas coming through, some kind of anthropological stuff that we're going to bring into it that helps us explain health, really. So I don't know. I'm not... Yeah, we do set out to be different, I think, in a sense, but also I think it gets born out of... The, the type of people we are and the way that we think. And I've always found Alex incredibly um, interesting to listen to. Mm. And he and I bounce off ideas off each other a lot. And, you know, we just, I think just because we're more naturopathic and mm. I, I, don't, I think the thing is maybe we've got, I think what I'm trying to say here is I think maybe we've got a bit of an advantage uh-huh. in trying to be different because we are, we think a little bit differently to some of the prevailing ideas. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of found ourselves in a happy place through serendipity (laughs) uh, where, oh, people aren't being naturopathic. They're being very functional and very specific and very doctory and very research based, which is all useful up to a point, of course. Mm. And actually what we're doing is um, going, hang on a minute, how, how does that fit? How does that work? Is that really true? Is that really what's going on here? Is that is that too narrow? Mm. And because we just think like that, where I don't know, maybe we seem like a, a breath of fresh air compared to some of the other education and ideas out there.
1: Yeah, it's just sort of a twist on things. Is that how you came up with the Adaptive health series? Because, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, so I was, I mean, it was really... It was actually the genetics. Um, we got Alex a few years ago to do nutrigenomics because mm. all, the whole Ben Lynch thing could like hit the mm. planet like a scud missile, and everybody, everything was suddenly nutrigenomics. Everything was MTHFR and Compt and Mao and you know all this stuff. Um, and so I was interested in that and thought, oh gosh, this is actually new and interesting and something we should do. On, at the same time, I think he and I both felt hang on a minute, this is quite specific and this can't be the answer. Everything that we knew before from the dawn of time can't have suddenly stopped being true because we can see people's DNA (laughs) and make inferences about it, of course. So the DNA's been there since the dawn of time, after all. (laughs) So immediately I was kind of thinking how does this fit and then we were using Dr Sarah Myhill for some talks and the functional medicine thing was taking off more so I think in the UK sort of four or five years ago and and I was kind of I got myself into a place where I was thinking I need a model to make this make sense and for it to resonate with me as a naturopathic orientated nutritionist Mm -hmm. so I came up with the adaptive health model because what I figured is that You know, your genetics set the scene to some extent in terms of your ability to cope with stuff and to create enzymes. Mm -hmm. So it almost sets your innate predisposition perhaps in some ways. And then the environment I've always felt, which is kind of the Dr. Sarah Myhill view, it's the the environmental medicine view. Mm -hmm. The environment is a massive player in terms of pushing you around. I always use the analogy of a boat. You know, it's, it could be more or less well-built. And you might get across the ocean if the waters are still. If the waters are choppy, you're probably going to fail. It's probably going to fall apart. Yeah. And similarly, a very well-built boat with, with good genetics, if you like, could still struggle and sink in very adverse circumstances. So that interaction between the genetics and the environment, which I know is a bit obvious, Um, to me was critical. And then the bit I built in the middle was the idea that we're dynamically adapting as well, which I think is a very unique part. It's kind of there in the functional medicine model a bit with all the systems. But I don't see people properly looking at the kind of domino effect and the dynamic uh, adaptations and interactions. So I just think our body's primary purpose is to maintain some sort of stasis and it will do that whatever. So to follow my boat analogy, then the people on top of the boat, who might be the functional systems, have to work more or less hard and compensate for each other to adapt to those situations they're in, the strength and the structure of the boat and the conditions of the weather. Mm-hmm. And our bodies are doing that. You know, we, we start out with maybe a crap diet and then our blood sugar goes awry and then our AHPA axis tries to compensate. And then and we get into oxidative stress, and then that breaks down the mitochondria, and then the mitochondria mean that, you know, our blood glucose problems are even worse, and our blood glucose problems even are feeding mitochondrial dysfunction, and we get into an inflammatory situation and cell danger response, and the whole thing just becomes a a cyclical uh, relationship where each element of health is trying to compensate for the other element. And then you throw in drugs and medicines and maybe even supplements and the body adapts to them. And uh, so that for me was the critical bit where I just thought I need to see this as a dynamic model where I can understand someone's genetics. If we have that information, the environment is absolutely critical, especially now we're in a kind of lifestyle medicine scenario. And then for me really zooming out to see how all the systems are interacting and how that person is dynamically adapting um over time and to all of this change
1: that must have been one crazy sort of drawing did you start it out through just sort of drawing it out because you've got that lovely chart um it must have been really really while trying to put all of that together in one or did you just lock yourself into a room and say no nope, I'm gonna do it
0: no it happened um I think the the image came into my head quite quickly but then over time I think I drew it as circles and mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I wanted to visualize these dynamics in the end I think over a, it didn't happen overnight with a lock yourself in a room and wait for a eureka moment <laughs> the eureka moment happened quite early on and I got it Yeah, I was thinking about methylation and I was thinking about, you know, does it have to be MTHFR, which practitioners still get stuck on, you know, Mm -hmm. why should I care about methylation if they've not got an MTHFR polymorphism? And I kind of thought about, you know, uh, it was actually a Ben Lynch story about how he'd put someone on methyl, that Alex told me, about how he put someone on methylfolate and then I think this person changed a lot of lifestyle things, you know, stopped drinking heavily and then got worse and I kind of thought about this equation between the genetic polymorphism and the environment and how he'd adapted, not in a healthy way. Yeah. And then you put in something to prop up the genetics, if you like, and increases methylation by putting in the substrate, methylfolate. But then he takes away one of the things that was making him need to methylate so much. And suddenly the whole thing collapses like, you know, one of those Jenga puzzles. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, we are a big Jenga puzzle. You know, we're um, we're, we're holding ourselves together more or less well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do something healthful, and it actually knocks us for six because our body doesn't expect it. Doesn't, you know, doesn't need it. So mm-hmm. It's adapted. To, it's maladapted to things. It's shaped itself like a piece of plasticine, We've been pushed into a shape, and then, you know, that's the shape we are. You change something, and then the shape doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So that was my eureka moment when I kind of saw these things interplaying between each other and what had gone wrong and I kind of visualized it in that one strand. But then the the actual drawing of the model happened over time and eventually I kind of wanted to see it as clockwork because I wanted to see that you know something in the environment might be moving quite fast, yeah. a gear, and the genes might be moving quite slowly, in a sense, that kind of very simple analogy. And then in the middle, the system's just, you know, getting completely mangled because there isn't the right equation between the the internal and the the external. Yeah. Um, so we drew it, we used art, we've got some pretty gears now that we got from a graphic designer to do, so it looks a lot neater. The goal is to get it into an app, if I ever get my dream to get something that's more software based that I think would be really great and could kind of do it all for you.
1: That would be fab it really would be fab you could just feed that in it is um, so when you when you did that were you somewhat anxious to release this out I don't know how we've, we've just sort of gone down this pathway but I find it fascinating actually if that's okay were you nervous or were you hesitant to release this out into the the marketplace, as it were, to nutritional
0: therapists. Yeah. I thought, on the one hand, it's too crazy and against the grain. And then on the other hand, I had a a different negative, which is actually, you know what, it's actually pretty bloody obvious. Mm. So am I just stating the bleeding obvious here? But actually what we did was we gradually developed it over a period of years because just the nature of not having time to... We we never sat in a room and went, right, this is it. We've finished it. Right now we'll launch it. It actually morphed through what Alex and I were doing over a period of time. And so we gradually started to talk to people about it. And we got good feedback with people saying, oh, actually, I really like the way of looking at it as a almost as an adaptive kind of map. And then we had the confidence to move forward with it. What we've done also, which we haven't quite finished, which is what the adaptive checklists and questionnaire are based on, is we've got a huge database of what we call indicators, all the symptoms, signs, genes, test results on a big matrix, which we've kind of, um, we could kind of work into some sort of app or software solution. So the idea would be that you would just kind of rate yourself on certain things and that would heuristically or whatever the word is kind of generate some information adaptively so if we ever get to that stage it'll hopefully be a lot easier but that's where again there's there's parts of it that we haven't even got to yet we're still developing it
1: it's quite exciting though isn't it to see how Mm. something like this is really adapting itself yeah, um, it's growing and evolving, and who knows how how it will advance over time, and particularly with the information that you get from other nutritional therapists, um, totally as well. Yeah. So, is that that's obviously part of? I mean, we were we talked a, a, a little bit about your unorthodox ways of, of operating, which I think is great. I, well, you want it, That's part of what we do is is thinking about you know our health it's constantly yeah. changing as you say, it's morphing and or it it gets into this sort of mold and it, it's stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's quite interesting that you are unsticking mm. old ideas. So is that how you, if we look at in integrating sort of competing ideas, is that that's sort of taking all these different things and putting it into that or was this, did you feel like this was just something completely out there?
0: yeah it was um it was integrating existing stuff i suppose and and trying to make sense of it and trying to almost give something to the practitioners who i thought if it's confusing me it must be confusing you i'm not sure whether we've succeeded in that in enlightening people because it's still you know really complicated isn't it Mm. we haven't solved that problem i don't think but i think it's a useful model for trying to zoom out and integrate a lot of bits of information that you might get the beauty of it being that you can have as little information as you've got or a lot of information in our case studies in the seminars that we present we've actually got loads of information but i quite like the little stories where people have just you know created a an adaptive profile out of just a case history taking in one session that's the idea of it is you know, you can use it with a tiny amount of information and it's just a framework. Or you can use it to plug all of your test results in if you're doing that and your gene profiling. So, sorry, coming back to your question, I think, yeah, I don't know how out there it is. I think, I mean, for me, it's a way of integrating a lot of existing ideas. I like to think that if you're natu- a naturopath or an acupuncturist or a functional medicine practitioner, you can use it as another way of looking at things alongside. And... Um, you know, as you know, I'm a big believer in zooming out, not zooming in, yes. as, as I often talk about at seminars. I think with, you know, the, the functional medicine kind of paradigm has given us um, a real positive in terms of looking in detail at something. Mm. But it does tend to be, in my mind, a quite pathological still. I don't think it's supposed to be, just to be fair. Mm. But I think that's how people use it. It's very doctory. Mm. It's very, you know, medicine-y as the name suggests. So you do tend to use it and kind of um, zoom in on a specific detail. I always call it, um, you know, going deep and narrow in yeah. your thinking, yeah. like, you know, what can this, is this dopamine? Is this the dopamine receptor? Is this, yeah. what is this? And you test and you test and you test, trying to find the, the what's, what, what would we call the root cause yeah. Uh, and we're digging really deep, you know, we're trying to find the treasure and we've found, we we found one spot and we're just digging really deep and deep and it, we still haven't found it, let's dig a bit deeper. Mm. And I don't think health works that way. So while I think uh, what I was trying to say there was I think it gives us that specificity and that maybe that very um, scientific, technical way of looking at it is really useful we need to then be absolutely sure that we zoom out and go hang on a minute what's the significance of this SIBO or this um, specific bacterial imbalance on this stool test or this particular urine results from a organic acids test what's the human significance of this in terms of this whole person and so we need to dig more we'll find the treasure if we dig wider and more in a more shallow way maybe than if we dig deep and narrow. But they're both complementary approaches and that's where I think you might test and zoom in and look at research as long as the adaptive model helps you to then pull back and go, hang on a minute, where were we? Where were we with this human being sitting in front of me and how is how have they been shaped by their circumstances, by their genes? how have they shaped themselves just trying to make the best of it and how can i therapeutically push them back into a slightly better adapted shape what's the best way that i can do that
1: even dr chatterjee talks about rengan chatterjee talks about how you you go in but you pull back out as well and look at the whole lifestyle to see what's going on with the individual so we totally. don't get so much into, as you say, the more of the conventional medicine approach that this yes. is what's wrong with you, so you need to treat that. And, and, or, and yeah. obviously, we don't treat, but um, yeah. it's more of looking at the holistic person because yeah. we know what stress does to the yeah. body is uh, quite extraordinary. And I think we're going to find more and more that that is yeah. going to be the key thing. So, totally. Or one of the key things. So totally. does that lead into... Your educational roadshows, is that how you have shifted to make it more about a, a topic rather than a topic of, say, the last one that you did was on changes and the one before was mm. about rooted? And it doesn't say that we're not going to an event to learn just about irritable bowel.
0: Totally. So we, we, one of the implications of adaptive health is you kind of move away from a more diagnostic, pathological, single cause effect model. So now we've got to find ways of pulling the information together in a different way. It does tend to be a bit system-based. So rooted was kind of immunity gut. Mm. Uh, Alex's changes was everything, you know, kind of a greatest hits really of how to facilitate changing clients so it probably is a bit less specific the one we're working on right now which is called human nature is all about how our endocrine and neuroendocrine system is really quite a a basic anthropological toolkit that equips us for survival Mm. Um, and then what we're doing is we're looking at hang on a minute how does that then translate into a modern environment and how does that change so I suppose the theme running through it is always adaptation and we're trying to always think, okay, we're going to talk about adaptive health again. How can we, how can we spin this in a different way or a different metaphor or a different angle and, you know, pull some different systems in and we're usually pulling multiple systems in. So the next one's going to be kind of nervous system, endocrine system, AHPA axis, sex hormones and kind of really looking at the links between those, and and we pull in, you know, connective tissue and immunity, of course. Yeah, but I'm trying to also present some different angles for people, and different metaphors, and different ways of looking at it, Mm -hmm. just to help us frame our thinking and approach. Uh, The rooted one for me was really important, um, because I felt, going back to what I said earlier, we take a very diagnostic pathological approach to gut bacteria and gut health with stool testing and SIBO testing. And so what I was trying to do is say, look, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I just want you to position yourself and look at it this way for a bit. I want you to consider the environment and the ecosystem and how organisms are interdependent. And then I want you to, I want us to take that same approach to the gut and the immune system because you know we do have a complex ecosystem yeah. and and actually what is the best way to support that so that it becomes self managing so, so that for me was a really a good example of what we what we're trying to do with you know just pulling back zooming out And saying, you know, are we sometimes bug zapping when we don't really know what the implication of zapping those bugs is? You know, are we causing all the bees to disappear in our gut by trying to eradicate blastocystis or whatever? Mm. We don't really understand the consequences. So what do we need from a lifestyle and diet and health point of view to create an environment, a habitat where the gut flora take care of themselves as they're supposed to? Mm-hmm. and it's immunity appropriate immunity appropriate diet appropriate you know lack of stress appropriate motility so really trying to see it from that point of view and reframe it for people and using the kind of environmental kind of cataclysmic environmental situation we're in right now as a kind of metaphor that because the parallels are really clear yeah
1: Yeah, most definitely, aren't they? Well, your rooted seminar was uh, really turned a lot of things upside down, but you're also fascinatingly enough. I had listened to something that Ben Brown was talking about very similar. So you're, I, I really, it was great to have both of those things coming out around the same time with that mindset of saying, actually, we really do need to pay attention to what we're doing to our microbiome and all those yeah. those bugs in there and what they're supposed to be doing and the biodiversity within and without. So I thought it was absolutely yeah. brilliant. And, and
0: I think more people are coming around to that. And a few practitioners since then have said, you know, you know, really not sure about this approach, this zooming in and zapping, you know, zapping bugs with antimicrobials or even, you know, often with SIBO, it's antibiotics. You know, what, what are we doing here? And as Ben, I think, pointed out, so I think I listened to the same podcast that you did. Um, you know, we, there's a high relapse rate. I think, right. I think that was a point he made, or certainly maybe, maybe Chris Cresser has made that point. Somebody, maybe one or both of them that, you know, there's actually quite a, fog around that diagnosis in terms of how valid it is, mm. and whether how much it relates to symptoms of certainly IBS, whether it's really clinically significant or to what extent it is and when it is and when it isn't. Mm. And definitely with antibiotic treatment, there's the high relapse rate. So is this the right approach? Yeah,
1: yeah, mm. absolutely. So, I mean, it certainly made me think very differently about uh, how I work with my clients and mm. their, their digestive issues. I mean, you sort of think about that anyway, but it's really pinpointed it, and I think it, it was great. Um, so thank you for that. Um, not meaning to be schmoozy or anything but it really is (laughs) it's really good so that kind of leads me on to you've created all of these different toolkits and these guides and these courses one of the things you said you'd like to talk about as well is your failability and your imperfection and how you uh, how you work with that
0: yeah well it's me personally and everybody out there yeah (laughs) (laughs) both in a way
1: yeah both in a way but i i mean yeah i can make it personal you can do it either way i'm certainly not bothered it's it's in the nicest possible way it's down to how you want to take it yeah as an organization i imagine it there are all kinds of implications and in your role it's the same thing and as a person the same thing so you do go with it
0: yeah Okay. okay yeah no worries um I've got this this other sort of big concept that I've talked about, which came out in our nutritional kintsugi um, seminar that we did, which was probably the one I was kind of like most pleased pleased with, most proud of. Yeah, and that's the idea that, as well, I think one of the errors that we make and that I made in my personal health journey is this idea that we strive for perfection in our health, in particular, and maybe lots of other things in life. You know, we expect it to be perfect. Mm. And this is a big error. And I've come to the conclusion very slowly and painfully over the years that um, it's feeding the problem to be striving for imperfection. So where I started on my personal health journey was working in the health service in quite a high-powered job, getting quite stressed, feeling very tired, kind of chronic fatigue, adrenal exhaustion, that kind of ballpark Mm -hmm. symptoms. And then I picked up a Patrick Holford... Book, God bless him, in mm. W. H. Smith in Birmingham, and kind of thought the Optimum Nutrition Bible, and I go, oh my God, this is this is amazing. This has really, really, really changed my thinking in 15 minutes standing there in a bookshop <laughs> reading it, <laughs> and and then BioCare happened to be on my doorstep as well, so I got involved with BioCare back then as a as a kind of student and as a someone listening to what they were saying. But what I was trying to do, and what I've been trying to do for. What is it? That must be about 17, 18 years ago, is trying to make me so that I'm not fatigued and a little bit overweight and, you know, a perfect thinker and a bit more sporty. I'd quite like to be a bit more sporty than I'm able to be, uh, but I've never been very sporty, you know, I've never been very sporty from the beginning. I was always lasting cross country or at the back with all the fat kids, basically, because um, I was skinny back then. But so anyway, so I've always kind of felt that lots of biographical information for you. I've always kind of felt that I've been striving for this perfection where I'd be this adonis. But, you know, if I get my nutrition right and that there's a magic bullet and I've gradually realized that, no, and that's part of the problem. And the expression I always use that we used in Kintsugi a lot is, you know, we are imperfect people in an imperfect world. Get over it. Stop. Stop. The world is going to be full of toxicity. It's going to be full of EMF and 5G very soon. We live in a 24-hour Tesco society, a 24-hour gym society, very industrial. We're killing the environment. Yeah. Lifestyles changed. Our way of communicating with each other and making social contact with each other has changed beyond recognition in the last 10 years. Mm. And we have all of our genetic polymorphisms that can't possibly our genetics even our epigenetics can't possibly have kept up with all of that so with my chronic fatigue journey I kind of I kind of read a great paper by a guy called Navio that I always go on about that you'll have heard me go on about at the seminars where he basically speculates that chronic fatigue is an adaptation and it's basically your body kind of making a deal with your cells and mitochondria that if we just eke the energy out to a really low level then we'll preserve your longevity at the expense of your energy Mm. and that was a bit of a groundbreaking moment for me of me going okay that's that's great i'll take that that's 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 good i I now understand a little bit why my body's adapted in that way Now that's not to say i can't improve and you know not drinking too much wine for example (laughs) it's very helpful for me (laughs) in terms of the impact it has for the next day on my mitochondria and things so it's not to say that we can't I can't reshape myself, so I'm better adapted. But it's actually a huge relief to know that my goal is probably not this kind of health perfection. And it's encapsulated by this Japanese concept of kintsugi, of you know, you you kind of dropped your health on the floor and as a, as a kind of vase and you shattered it into pieces and you kind of piece yourself back together again. And although it's not perfect, it has its own idiosyncratic kind of beauty and function about it so that's become a big part of my philosophy where i see people trying to you know treat cure find the magic bullet for the pathology find the root cause and cure it Mm. i don't think this is something that we can do a lot of the time i think we're trying to get people to fit better into their lifestyles and environments and Mm. make those adjustments so that they're better adapted Mm. we want to put that vase back together for it to look a bit kooky and beautiful and maybe sit on the shelf even though it's wobbling a little bit more than it was before Mm -hmm. but that's probably our realistic aim
1: yeah that sort of describes me i feel a bit wonky (laughs) and wobbly (laughs) but that's just me in general but it's it's good i like that it's um being real yeah totally yeah instead of having this fluffy froofy everything's perfect yeah. Uh, in our lives because it's not and I, and even yeah. as as nutritional therapists there's that pressure of you have to live a certain lifestyle well you know I've said this several yeah. times on other shows we're human as well yeah. we do we do things <laughs> we just don't yeah. because we are human so that yeah. does that um that's one of your you've talked before about your common pitfalls is that one of the the main ones I guess or is that the one of that yeah for me yeah <laughs> yeah because
0: there's that chronic fatigue they call it hyper vigilance mm-hmm. and that um almost hyper perception of the world that i think comes along with a certain ahp axis dysfunction and stuff and i am that i am that kind of perfectionist driven person i don't think i would have created the adaptive health model if i hadn't had this need to fix it and solve it and understand it and mm. if i hadn't been dissatisfied so yeah it's probably interesting it's a pull those two things together I think my tendency to strive for perfection and kind of beat myself up about that you know this is a positive thing as well though in a sense Mm. I think that's why people are are like this we need people like this to some degree in society because I think it then kind of drives things a bit and it certainly has driven me so there's always a positive Mm. side to it in that um, that tendency for me to be that way is probably it's probably one of my kind of creative drivers on the other hand i have to kind of try to just pull myself back a little bit and not overdo it because i'll exhaust my useless mitochondria (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) i understand well so that leads me to ask you a question how do you take care of yourself
0: um okay so i think again there's i hate boredom So although it sounds perverse and contradictory, to some degree, me doing this, doing what I do is important. And I think being able to be creative and to be able to think and innovate makes me feel kind of useful and functional and gives me a lot of energy. So I'm really lucky that in my work, I'm really able to be very creative in exactly the way that I want to be and to think differently and stand in a room and tell people about it you know Um, that's a big privilege Mm. and then it's spending time with my kids which i love Mm -hmm. they're brilliant beautiful people funny keeping a sense of humor always for me is massive i think you know that sense of self almost self mockery and people you know you'll probably have seen it deb you know when you've heard me speak it's like i sometimes have a bit of a downer on myself in a jack (laughs) d kind of a way and um but you know it's it's part of of me having a bit of fun with it in a way and uh, i hope people don't see it too seriously that's not the intention maybe some people do but to be able to have that almost sense of self-imperfection and humor and humor about how crazy and imperfect the world is Mm. And not to take it too seriously yeah. is really important. I have to guard a little bit against taking things too seriously. And I've got some great friends and some great people around me who can luckily just switch me into that zone of, okay, you're taking, self, you're taking it all a bit too seriously now. Let's Let's have a bit of a laugh about this and see how rubbish we all can be. Mm. So I think that, I think humour, creativity are really the things that i kind of lean on to sort of balance me
1: sounds really nice and it sounds very balanced actually so we're now with biocare you're working i'm jumping around to go from the Mm -hmm. personal into the the professional bit because that's just the way it sort of seems to be flowing we're now with biocare in your you're doing the educational series i realize it's none of my business because you have your own plans and how you all want to grow as an organization, mm. but you are trying to be innovators. So what are yeah. you going to do to push us push us to think even more and, and, and bend our brains yeah. around a little bit more?
0: Cool. So next year there's going to be we're going to spin the education thing in a few different directions we've always managed to find ways to do that so we're taking an evolutionary and anthropological view of mostly kind of ahp axis sex hormones endocrine yeah. but obviously pulling in those other things i've said it feels like we haven't done that for a while Mm. on On the the back back. of that we hope that we'll be launching some new things and revising some things that fit in with that but that's to be confirmed Mm -hmm. so we've still got you know some things in early development always with us it's not about Putting on a great seminar that everyone goes, you know that was lovely. It was a lovely venue. It was. Um, we we won't mention the extra library toilets at this point. Um, it was a lovely venue. We had a lovely time networking, and the speaker was amazing. And then they kind of walk away, and you know, I don't know, buy Solgar or whatever. Sol- Solgar's a lovely company, by the way. What um, uh, the point I'm trying to make is, they're almost disconnected. It's really important to me that the product development, the innovation in the product, what we think about, what helps best, is totally interlinked to that health concept and that health idea Mm -hmm. that we're presenting. You you can't design and develop a product in a vacuum, you know, purely to make money. In my opinion, if you're an ethical company, you, you know, there's there's other companies out there like us that I'm sure feel the same way. So we're very keen on the education we're doing and our nutrition concept and how we're developing that and how we think things are changing our products have to reflect that and become a toolkit for the practitioners that's how we see them is you know they, they're your toolkit and we help you understand the toolkit we're training you to, on the engineering bit to understand the machine so you can use the toolkit and yeah. the two things are interlinked And therefore what we're doing is constantly evolving the products and the range. I do genuinely think we've probably got the best thought out kind of methylation and detox products out there because we really took on board the new genomics and our adaptive way of thinking in the way that we change them and develop them. Mm -hmm. So that was a great example of how the two things work together. And then that means that when we're standing up at seminars, there's no disconnect, it feels like it's all being said. Even when we mention a product, it should be that we're mentioning that for clinical reasons because we totally believe in it and hopefully we can back it up with some case study evidence which we're busy accumulating. As a company, we can't afford to do RCT trials like the other supplement companies can't really yeah. on all the products. And actually it would be the wrong research template, in my opinion, for the way we work. So what we've been really busy on in the last two years is actually accumulating case study data on how we've used those products and what results we've had. And that helps to inform our development. So there's going to be some new education ideas next year, developing the concept and some hopefully nice little product changes along the way.
1: That's uh, got me thinking about one of those questions that i know drives you crazy but it's the fillers and i know you work really hard on that Mm, but um, you're pressed on the type of fillers that you put in your products and that can be quite contentious for a lot of people do you want to talk about that at all or yeah
0: no that's fine deb i I love i love talking about it as you know (laughs) (laughs) i always say i can set my watch at any seminar by when that question's going to come yeah yeah, we, we always have taken a view that we have been really honest about labelling our kind of excipients and additives in the products. So I'm not going to malign anyone else, but we've we kind of have got a little bit of an indication that maybe our labelling strategy is a little bit different to, to some other companies. And the, the US brands in particular have different regulations. And although technically they're supposed to adhere to EU regulations, mm-hmm. soon to be uk regulations i would think which i'm sure mirror the eu regulations largely at least for a period of time if not forever but they don't tend to so there are different interpretations of how you create a label and we've got these coming in from different countries with different regulations so some products do look a lot cleaner Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily which is something that we know but we've always taken the view that if magnesium stearate's in there then it's kind of in there we're moving towards all the time so I've always I look at every formulation and I always challenge us to say if that needs to be in there then fine and you know if we're adding something we should label it if it needs to be in there of course if it doesn't need to be in there then it shouldn't be in there and it's a work in progress we'll always move towards using the minimum of additives and excipients but while understanding as well that these are you know these aren't foods they're supposed to have a two-year shelf life and I think people would be up in arms if the shelf life reduced to you know two months and it'd be very difficult to sell and market on that basis so there are certain constraints because you're dealing with tablets, capsules, powders, pills, liquids Mm -hmm. where there are some things that you have to use in order to keep to dose things correctly Mm -hmm. and to keep things stable and to stop things getting damp and moldy and there are all those risks when you don't use some of these things that we think of as nasties where it might be nasty but it's even nastier to get 20 times the dose of selenium in that capsule by accident or it for it to go really moldy or for that liquid to just go off because it's so unstable and the reality is with a lot of these things that they're pretty safe no one wants to see them and we would never want to put magnesium stearate in when we didn't need to into our mouths but there isn't any evidence it's actually dangerous which is something I point out to people the The research study that that's based on is extremely flawed mice with different fatty acid desaturase enzymes it was stearic acid anyway so you've got to stop eating all that coconut oil and lots of other good fats mm-hmm. if you want to avoid it you know you'd have to be drowning in a building full of it before it would exert those effects on your cells right. but we will still move towards getting rid of it just because, in my opinion, whatever the science says, we are moving towards an environment where people just don't want to see it for whatever reason. And I definitely, as, as you will know, don't want to have conversations about it Yeah. when I want to be talking about sulfation pathways and methylation and yeah. adaptive health and kintsugi. So it does tend to be a bit of a distraction for us as a company sometimes. and. We'd like to, for all sorts of reasons, not have that be an issue. So we are moving as fast as possible towards a situation where we're using minimal excipients because we want people to use the products because we know the products are the most effective products out there and we don't want any kind of objection or barrier to that that people might imagine.
1: Cool. Cool. That's, well, that's interesting. I mean, it's good. To, it's adapting, and it's just being straightforward mm. like you are, which yeah. is really good. I mean, thank you. Thanks for talking about No worries. About now, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you might want to talk about? Is there anything in particular you would like people to walk away with from our conversation?
0: I think we've pretty much covered everything. You've done a great job of <laughs> <laughs> thinking me through all those questions and picking out my philosophy really our philosophy so yeah i think the thing to probably end on is the is the fact that what we're about what i'm about is my passion is really trying to understand kind of human health and how it works and develop new models new ways of explaining things new kind of metaphors for understanding it new angles on it so that we can really take it apart um, and understand it and help our clients get better and develop the right products and lifestyle suggestions that really make the biggest difference. But at the end of the day, I'm a big believer as well that it's a human to human relationship when we try to help someone. You know, you're a a therapist first and a nutritionist second. And I think that's increasingly going to be the case. And there's a creative element as much as a science element that I think is so powerful that we need to keep hanging on to. And that's why I keep talking about, you know, embrace imperfection, keep zooming out, keep thinking holistically, but above all, you know, look at that human being sitting in front of you in the eye and think about what's in your gut and your intuition and see it for what it is. And then you'll find the answer. You know, you use your therapist and your human nature first. And you'll get the answer out of all of that complexity we've gone through and we've discussed all of those competing ideas. I think the person sitting in front of you often makes the narrows it down for you and makes the solution clear.
1: Yeah, and that's that's part of what you recently addressed is really really focusing on them because that's why we're here. It's all about absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. That's just absolutely been fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries, Deb. It's been a pleasure. Oh, well, my pleasure too. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your listening in. Don't forget the objective of these podcasts is to support, collaborate, communicate, educate, and inspire one another. But the only way I'll know if I'm doing this is if you let me know. There will be a link in the show notes as usual so you can send me an email. I'd also like to ask you to subscribe and share it with other people you think it might be of value to. And don't forget on September 19th this year nita beardsley of love nutrition and i are hosting an event in bristol we have a great rota of speakers such as dr alan desmond dr elizabeth phillips and author tanya borowski joining us so watch this space for further details but for now i'd like to wish you very good health wherever you are bye for now bye